Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Third hour, OutKick 360 underway from 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville, Tennessee, with Yeehaw here in Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us, the entire crew making it happen for us. Uh, did great work last week, and uh, we're back in studio, and, and as if we never left. Our, our home is at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. You can join us here uh, each and every day at the distillery or brewery. Uh, great food uh, options as well, TVs, all the sports, whatever you may be uh, wanting to watch. They've got it for you uh, seven days a week here at their facility downtown. Although Jacob Swanson... Uh, did act like he wasn't happy to see us when we came in today. I think he got really used to the elbow room without us in here. I don't and know. He I don't, seemed a little off when we walked in. Based on the up. number of people I know that they had in here last week, I'm not That's sure true. if yeah. there were. There actually uh, may be more elbow room, shockingly, uh, with the addition of us three coming maybe. in. We're back. I just think he's probably sizing the place up for a dartboard oh. <laughs> in our absence. Oh, man. Uh, it looked like a dartboard last night for Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup on that final possession. They targeted their best player. Cooper Cup steps up, and like he's done throughout the entire postseason, in the fourth quarter, made huge plays that won the game and that won MVP for the Rams wide receiver. What he's done this year is unlike anything we've we've ever seen. Uh, he won the receiving triple crown, which is yards, catches, and touchdowns. You've got uh, the he, he wins over uh, last week. He wins Offensive Player of the Year. He wins the Super Bowl MVP. And when you start looking around of all time in NFL history, Jerry Rice is the only wide receiver in NFL history to do all of those things in an entire career. Cooper Cup did it in one season for the Los Angeles Rams. And he had a playoff record 33 catches in a postseason. His last three games, 28 catches, 423 yards, five touchdowns. And 20 of those 28 catches either moved the chains or scored a touchdown. On top of that, the production that he had in the fourth quarter speaks volumes about the clutch ability that both he and Stafford and that rapport that they have. He set an NFL postseason record, 208 yards in the fourth quarter. And he had at least one catch of 20 or more yards in every game this postseason in the fourth quarter. So one explosive play every single game in the playoffs by Cooper Cup, came in the fourth quarter. Impactful. And not just impactful, I mean, MVP worthy. I mean, I, I'm just thinking, you know, back to recent great receivers. You know, could Calvin Johnson, who, you know, I, I have no doubt about Calvin Johnson's greatness, absolutely terrific receiver, first ballot Hall of Fame. Could, could he have done last night what Cooper Cup did? I'm not so sure that that he could have. And I'm saying that not to downgrade 
Calvin Johnson. I'm saying it to to shine a light on just how great Cooper Cup is and his ability to get open all the time. I mean, Calvin Johnson is a is a go up and and take it away from you at any time kind of guy. So it would be a different different kind of thing. But the ability to stop on a dime, turn and get open, some of these routes that we've talked about in the past uh, that he wasn't necessarily using last night with this um, goal line area stuff where he could stop and, and turn so quickly in such a short area. I just think he's doing some things that some all-time greats didn't do. Now, maybe there's some things they did that he – I'm not saying he's Jerry Rice, but I, I think he's very, very unique. He also, I saw another stat where this season, his amount of receptions is greater than the leading receiver in 81 and 82 combined. He's got two more catches than Kellen Winslow, who won the receiving title both those years, which is another incredible Cooper Cup stat. Um, He's six foot two, and there's something about the guy where he looks small the way he plays. He does. But yet he can play both small or big. I mean, he is a true flex type guy. He plays in a way that he seems like a small guy running around quicker than everyone, getting open, but yet when the throw calls for him to play big and go up and get it or shield the defender and make the play, he can do that too. I mean, to me, it's his versatility that's just incredible to watch. It's the, it's the rhythm with Matthew Stafford in year one mixed with the versatility it's it's been fun to watch. I mean, it's how much longer can this keep going? Maybe not this season statistically, but with those two together, it's it's going to be a fun duo to watch for however long they're in LA. And we're not factoring in Woods, who who can be back. I thought Van Jefferson was a little bit disappointing last night. I don't know how distracted he was by the fact that his wife went into labor. I I, I read that he wasn't told. Um, until after the game when he ran out of the celebration. Uh, Sean Jefferson scooped him up and, and got him to the hospital, and he was there for the birth of his, uh, uh, his child. Um, but there, there were moments where I felt like he wasn't into it uh, or, or, or wasn't as, as, as present and aggressive as, as he needed to be, which disappointed me um, because I, I, I thought he, <clears throat> and he has been at times, a capable third in, in uh, what they had going. But I didn't think they could count on him last night in the same way that they needed to. Um, but give give them back uh, a healthy Odell Beckham who needs to resign, and Woods. I don't know what his contract status is, um, and it should be even better for Cooper Cup. He's not a, Woods is not a free agent. Um, their their free agents are Beckham, Von Miller, Sony Michelle, uh, Matt Gay, their kicker. Um, uh, the rest are uh, Joseph Noteboom. Uh, the, the rest he could are, be their starting left tackle. Yeah, worth uh, retiring. Right. So I mean, there's the rest are just a handful of of role players. But that, again, that they want those guys back. But the, those yeah, are the marquee right. free agents. Uh, and and Cooper Cup. The going we, earlier in the show, if you missed it, you can go back on the on the podcast and find it wherever you download your audio. We had a discussion about the rapport of Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. There's only, if you count the playoffs, um, Stafford and Cup combined for 22 touchdowns on the season. There's only one quarterback wide receiver duo that had more in NFL history, and that's Brady and Randy Moss, who had 24 in 2007. Um, so, no, to answer your question, Paul, I don't think you're going to, I mean, we, we saw, 
we, we saw Megatron team up with the same quarterback in Stafford. And there's just a different uh, there's just a different level that that you see from from Cup because he can be used in so many different ways. I like what Chad said about him being able to kind of be big and small. Well, and it, I just well, they're I, even giving him a, a carry for a first down in that. Game, I can usually watch a receiver play or a player and think, okay, this player is a lot like this player. I can come up with an immediate comp, just even visually at times watching them play. I have a hard time doing that for Cooper Cup. I think a guy that you continue to bring up, Jerry Rice. I mean, Jerry Rice could do everything. Cooper yep. Cup does everything. That, that was Jerry Rice's specialty was he could run past you. He would go across the middle. He had sure hands. Uh, he could make tough catches. He could do it all. And they're, I, I'm, I'm going to look up Jerry Rice right now. I bet you they're pretty similar sizes when you look at the two guys. I yeah. want to say Rice might be 6'1 and not 6'2, but I bet they're pretty close. Cooper Cup is 6'2", 208. But you go and back. he seems like a guy who plays like he's 5'10". You know, 190 pounds, and then other times he plays like a guy who's six four. But you go back to the last couple of receivers who've won MVP. Julian Edelman, um, in in 2019, he's got Julian Edelman qualities for damn sure. Uh, Santonio Holmes, he's got Santonio Holmes qualities for damn sure. Heinz Ward and Deion Branch, he's got qualities. All these guys, he's better than any of them. Jerry Rice, six two two hundred. Cooper Cup, six two two zero eight. That's the comp for me. I'm not saying that he's the same player as Jerry Rice right now. Don't anyone take it and run with it that way. But if I'm looking for someone who does a little bit of everything and does it well, even great at times, I think that would be the player comp I would make for Cooper Cup. Well, it makes me think, like, I wonder what what could have been with Cooper Cup. So he didn't play in the the Rams previous for those those think that the, the Cooper Cup just came to the league he's i think it's year 5 just finished year 5 he didn't play in the Rams first Super Bowl in fact he didn't play in the Rams last two playoff losses um for LA so and, and that includes the the year where they only put up 3 points in the Super Bowl against New England um and that was also a season where he had roughly 50 catches but over the last three years, he's had over 90 catches and 1,000 yards each time. He had 1,100 last year and then really took off, and it was more than just the extra game, really took off with Matthew Stafford. Yeah, this was his fifth year. Previous, So 1947 was his, his regular season total. Previous best was 1161. I mean, uh, you know, uh, 145 catches this year. Previous best was 94. 94 is a ridiculously good receiving season. He caught 145 passes this year in the regular season. That's 17 games, obviously. But uh, that 94 was in 14 games, by the way. So, or no, sorry, 16. Uh, it, the guy's terrific. It's it's hard to, uh, you know, I think people are going to say, hey, I want a Cooper Cup. That's not something you can go and get. That tells you. Like, hey, I want an Aaron Donald. You can't go get an Aaron Donald. Yeah, it was the 2018 season. He was injured for the only played in eight games. So he had a drop off from his rookie year, 62 catches to 40. But – has gotten steadily – he was consistent the last two years and just blew it out of the water this season. He's 28 years old also. He was a 24-year-old rookie when he came into the league. But he's not um, – he's just so – I think even today he's under the radar because no one – everyone acknowledges how great he was, but they, they're not putting him in the same all-time breath as Jerry Rice. No. And and I I've, been they, put, I, I've been comparing him to that group 
since he went on this run in the regular season comparing him to Jonathan Taylor and how it's just not even close. I mean, what Jonathan Taylor was doing, we had seen before. And what, what Cup was doing in, in real time, we had not seen since Jerry Rice did it. Even so, I, look, I, I love the guy. This is first Pro Bowl, first All-Pro. And you want to see him do it for a continued extended period of, of time, which I don't doubt that he will do. But, um, you know, first two years were relatively light. One, because of injuries, Chad just pointed out. So he strung together three fantastic years here and a Super Bowl championship. And I think we'd all agree, wide receivers now do it for long stretches. And three years is, you know, could be a third of a, of a great career for a lot of wide receivers. But if he has one more year anywhere close to this year, I would like to see the comparison. You're talking about Jonathan Taylor this season. Comparison between Cooper Cup and a guy like Terrell Davis when Hall of Fame resumes yeah. go well, out if there. It does it in if you look at a two-year stretch for a receiver years. compared to a two-year stretch for a running back that got him into the Hall of Fame, I'd like to see that whenever Cooper Cup retires in five years after. That will be – again, he doesn't have to duplicate this year. If he's anywhere close yes. – a season from now, that'll be a fun comparison to look and at. And we know what the, the question is there. You know, can he stay healthy uh, in, in a second season? Then play, give you 17 games and, and maybe a playoff run. But that's the question. I, I, I don't have any question about his ability to be productive a second year in a row. I don't think people are going to solve him. Uh, I think the question is, you know, does he turn an ankle or pull well, a hamstring? Well, I mean, uh, you know one of my pet peeves. If, if you're only – argument against a guy repeating the performance is if he stays healthy. You can say that about literally every right. player in the NFL. So if you're going to say that, you might as well say, yeah, the guy's going to repeat what he did. Because, of course, if he gets hurt, that's going to hinder his ability to do that. Well, right, but the great ones find a way to, yeah, to stay healthy. And I'm not looking just at Hall of Fame right now, but for next year's purposes, what does a healthy Robert Woods coming back, do they sign Odell Beckham Jr. who said he wants to stay there? Who knows? Do, do those guys take away it all from him? No, this guy averaged so. nine catches and 90 yards a game this year with those guys. Yeah, and also because Robert Woods is basically used as a running back at this point. So well, he's not going to take receptions away from him as much as you And do think. they run the ball better, Hut? 191 targets is an enormous number. You know, they could consciously try to give him less. Well, they did run the ball better at the end of the regular season, which we've also pointed out. Right, but from I mean, start they, they to finish. They averaged 75-plus like, yards on the ground towards the end of the season. What they did in the postseason running the football was drastically different than the production they were getting down the stretch. Down the stretch. But start to finish, I'm sure they'd like to more consistently have have better balance. Every team would. Which, well, sure. which could uh, trim, a, trim him. Well, let's figure out what the next head coach wants. It's <laughs> also yeah, What if they bring in mark. a real run guy? Don't, 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 don't yeah. know what type of court, uh, coach they're going to bring Who's in. Who's their quarterback coach? That's what we need to look in, into with, with O'Connell leaving. Uh, who's the third-ranking offensive guy on that staff? I'm going to find out right now. We're going to name so the O'Connell wasn't quarterback coach and OC. I would think there's. Well, I don't know. I'm about to find out. Yeah, they, I mean they they came up with all kinds of titles. I'm sure it may have been O'Connell. I put in Rams staff, and it very much wants to give me Rams Stafford. No. <laughs> well, so the the other thing about uh, Cup is he joins a group with Kurt Warner. So the Super Bowl MVPs who also came from an FBS school that were not first-round picks. The Rams have Kurt Warner and Cooper Cup. 
And there are literally no other players like that from an FBS school to then become Super Bowl MVP and be a mid to late late round draft pick. I'm a, and the fact that the Rams have both guys is interesting. I'm amazed that not one HBCU player won Super Bowl MVP in all those years. Well, if they did, of, they, of they were a first-round pick. Oh, oh, gotcha. First-round pick also, there wasn't. We got a dilemma here in naming the next coach, guys. Why we, is that? We've got a lot of scrambled titles here. We've got uh, – well, That's what, that's what, uh, <laughs> that's what McVay is known who, for. Who yeah. looks the most like Zach Taylor or McVay? There's your answer. We've got tight, a tight ends coach slash pass game coordinator in Wes Phillips. We've got uh, – Is he hot? Is he cute? <laughs> what is Wes look like? You, you go ahead and judge. He's uh, I mean, he's, Paul's so insecure of himself, okay. he can't, no, tell, one Peter like, he can't tell if a guy's good looking or not. God guy, forbid, a little God salt forbid pepper. Paul, tell, no, give us a look. He's a little salt and pepper beard. Uh, we've well, got so an assistant, assistant quarterbacks coach in Zach Robinson. We've got a running backs coach, assistant head coach, Thomas Brown. Now, Wes Phillips has 15 years of experience. These other guys, just three and two. Um, and, and that's it. That doesn't it. matter anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, we could hire a guy who's a high school coach. The younger, maybe, the better. Maybe, they, the maybe they're the other team that really likes McCown. Yeah, who's the youngest <laughs> guy on that list? Maybe. Maybe it's McCown. Can you imagine if the Rams did that after Houston <laughs> tried to do it? We couldn't find anyone else that wanted it. And then the Houston <laughs> the Rams like, you know what? themselves. Well, McVay <laughs> retires, and an hour later they announced McCown would be the best. I mean, they've Not even a full search. They've got an assistant linebackers coach, Thad Bagaris. Bagardis. <laughs> Who looks like a 12-year-old. Look at that guy. Yep. This is the youngest guy on the team. I don't know what his offensive background is. He's assistant linebackers coach. He He's been like, there eight years. He's looks like got a eight years sophomore in college. Got hired at 20, and now at 28, he's I mean, got eight look. years of experience. Mike McDaniel looks older than this guy. Coaching fellow <laughs> is Lance Schultz, who we know. He's been there a year. I'd take him. He's a good talker. Yeah, but he's defense. Well, I mean, the no, most experienced is... guy here is Raheem Morris. Anyone connected to McVay's offense. Raheem Morris is connected to McVay. Raheem Morris may be the most likable guy in the league among coaches. I've never heard anything bad about Raheem Morris. That's a good quality to have. Well, he didn't do great at Tampa. That's the one thing bad about him. He's doing great everywhere else, uh, running defenses. Been solid. And I don't know. I, mean, he, he, I think he's in the next wave. He's in the next wave of coaches, head coaches. Maybe they turn to him there. That's what I was saying. But I'm but saying it'd be it, so crazy. It, would, it would be way against the grain for them to if if McVay goes to TV that they turn away from offense. But then you they know, really if, you, need if you've Aaron got Donald. Stafford and Cup that do their own thing again, like if you've got the rapport of your quarterback and wide receiver, just your best player, it's more than just a wide receiver, your best player that are going to make stuff up in the dirt in the huddle or at the line of scrimmage, not even in the huddle at the line of scrimmage. Coordinated. You know what difference does a play call make? None. Guy's going to get open, find the open pocket. Coming up, we uh, have a review of halftime and the uh, Super Bowl commercials from last night or Super Bowl 56. And the Bengals, to me today, feel like another team, but for me, a college team that I'll compare them to. That's coming up on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh, Kick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network, which includes across the Upper Cumberland Sports Radio 104.7, Fox Sports Shoals, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Huntsville, uh, and in uh, Florence, Alabama. Um, halftime show last night. I mean, I I remember exactly where I was, where Chronic 2001 uh, uh, joined uh Whatever I was using at the time, probably it wasn't a Walkman. It was a Sony uh, CD player, Chad. I think if we gave that to uh, Ellie, our intern, she wouldn't know what to do uh, with it. Um, what is this? Do you, do you eat something out of it? How does this work? You need batteries. No it was it was quite the show, and uh, Twitter was was on Unblaze. fire. Yeah, with with the halftime show yesterday. Um, I feel like if you didn't like it, you're on the outskirts. And I'm on you, the outskirts. If you had a, uh, a negative thing to say about it, quite frankly. Uh, no matter what age group you were in the in the media, you were on the outskirts of, of last well, night. Well, I'll give you two negative show. things, then you guys could could go crazy for it. No, I mean, I, I don't not necessarily think I'll love everything either. I, I, I thought it lacked spectacle in, in two regards. One, the daylight. Like, there's all, it's always dark, and there's some I kind of huge thought. lights thing, and this took place in the daylight, which I think took away from the spectacle of it. And two, the fact that, the stage or whatever it was that that you could only see it from one side of the stadium to me was an insult like if i'm watching it from if i paid twelve hundred dollars for my ticket on that side of the stadium i had no choice but to watch it on the board because there was a backside to this stage. well some had a front like so if you're watching on one side some of them were open on the other side others were open uh, like uh, I saw. One. I don't know why you wouldn't have it all open so that every the the majority of the people in the stadium could see it if they so choose. One, one photo chose. I saw, you could one video I was watching. I should say you had Kendrick Lamar play on the opposite side, but you could clearly see you know Eminem getting set up on their side. I wasn't really impressed with the the stage, which went along with the lights. I, I thought it lacked kind of a spectacle of that. I thought the performances were good. Eminem to me is the the best of the lot there. I like that song the best, and I thought it Lose was it was good. Um, but obviously I defer to other people who are more of that era and into that genre. I thought the light affected it. Uh, not being in, in, in darkness was a factor. Um, I'll also say over a hundred million people are watching. I really think what happens in the stadium is secondary. That, that's um, true. And, and I mean, I, this sounds insensitive but the for people and who the paid, you know, $10,000 for an great. upper deck ticket, but tough luck if you don't have no, the best view of the, of the stage. That's You're 100% really, right. it's for people on television yeah, to watch. Show. I like the camera work. Uh, the NFL has been doing this this year where there's the camera where it's really in focus up front, a little bit blurred in the back. And I thought it's it had the that portfolio effect. Look. Yeah. I thought it had that effect on, uh, on Dr. Dre and Snoop when they, when they open. Um, I, I enjoyed that part of it. Uh, I have criticisms of this also, which I didn't see a lot of them, but uh, I can go further back 
my my first experience with rap music, I was 10 years old when The Chronic came out in 1992. I don't like that they started in 2000, 2001 with rap music. If you're going to have a history of L.A. hip-hop, and Dr. Dre clearly was the focal point of the night, beginning and ending with, with Still Dre in the end, you need to go back. So starting with the next episode, which was a follow-up to Nothing But a G Thing, with the same beat, I thought was cutting out a decade of the earlier you know, hip-hop West Coast movement, uh, which I, I didn't really like. Uh, I know they kind of went back and threw back to some Tupac stuff from the late 90s also. Um, but overall, I thought it was good. I just don't... Spectacle, Paul, you talked about that. If you are a rapper and you are standing and rapping, you really need a lot of stuff to go on around you to create the spectacle. Kendrick Lamar was the only performer that could do a number of things dance-wise that created a spectacle. So his performance was visually arresting. Nothing else about it was visually arresting. The performances were good, but in terms of a Lady Gaga-level spectacle, you just weren't going to get that except for Kendrick Lamar's small little piece where he had the dancers around him and he was doing the whole thing. Um, but all in all, I thought it was, thought it was really good. I mean, I, I, don't, I didn't have any big objections to it. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they could have started a little bit earlier with uh, the West Coast hip-hop. My favorite feature of the stage was the city of L.A., the actual map of L.A. and the grid of the city underneath them the whole time. I don't know if you guys spotted that, but the the curtain that was underneath them was lit up. It was a satellite view of the city of Los Angeles. Another thing that would have looked better in the dark, so yeah. to speak. Unless you just can't control that. I know. Yeah. Um, I also like Dr. Dre going to the <laughs> piano just to play the the little Love piano it. line from "I Ain't Mad at You" from uh, from Tupac was cool. Well, they had um, well, they had the the Fifty Cent. They they had his appearance, and so that and I, I like the fact that they opened. With Dre and Snoop, and then they show Fifty Cent, and that 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 brought me back to like the TRL days, Chad. Yeah, where, where, because that was the open to his music video. That's why he's hanging upside down because he's hanging upside down in his music video. Well, my wife didn't know any of the songs other than "Lose Yourself" on it, and then in the club started playing. I said, <laughs> "Every person in the world has heard this song. Like, this is one that you bring in Fifty Cent, you're playing that song. That's another one like "Lose Yourself" that you've heard it. Paul's heard that song." I'm sure when he started yes. playing that. I mean, that's one that everyone, you cannot avoid that one. So it was a smart move to bring that in. Um, I'd never heard the Kendrick Lamar song, for instance. Um, I'd yeah. never heard one of the Mary J. Blige songs. But and when I think, the club started, I think uh, everyone the, had heard that The Mary that J. Blige, uh, Kendrick Lamar transition there, uh, there was a lull in the halftime show. What's also funny to me is that the, the, the media members who are critical about any halftime show had nothing critical to say about this you know whatsoever. Th- you know how those media members, though, decided to be critical? Was just to gush about Prince. <laughs> <laughs> this is all that I... Like, that was the only... They had no objections to this one, but they yeah. would just thought... But I would like to say Prince is still the best. That was the best performance for a halftime show. I went back... I always do this. I fall into this wormhole of halftime shows when I watch a halftime show, and I understand the legal ramifications with this person, but top Michael Jackson and his halftime show. I don't think you can. In spectacle and everything else. That was an immediate response to Fox the year before pulling a bunch of viewers to In Living, in Living Color, Color live. And they came back the next year. That was, was in, that against Up With People or something like that? That Super Bowl it was used to be stupid. so late. It was like, you know, they'd bring the marching bands out right. and stuff like that. But anyways, it was a tribute to something. 
But they had Michael Jackson next year. Michael Jackson spends 92 seconds in the beginning staring down the crowd. And it sounds nuts that he just sat there in silence and stared, but it works when you watch the whole performance. He's just basically feeding off the energy of the crowd to begin. It was uh, incredible. Again, I understand the, the legal issues that people don't want to talk about Michael Jackson anymore, but from a pure performance standpoint, doesn't get any better than well, that. Well, speaking of legal issues, Dr. Dre, in his contract with the league, agreed to pay and be financially responsible for any fines headed their way. Anything that would uh, paint the league in a bad light or you know get them fined for anything FCC-related. Did they? There wasn't a no, they I added, know there was an over-under on I that. I mean, go read their lyrics. They edited a lot, yeah, including stuff about police. So... I mean, the NFL's they're always image conscious. And uh, I think the negotiations of what could and could not be said, including what could and could not be worn, were discussed leading up to showtime. Uh, there are reports that Eminem was told not to take a knee, and he did anyway at the end of his performance. That. Which that has been debunked. Uh, I know there's a story right now at OutKick about that, that the league came back and said, we saw the entire performance and loved it. We knew he was taking a knee. Well... And had no issues with it leading up to it. Okay. But he took it. But also, is it a protest if no one knows what you're doing? I mean, who actually caught that and thought it. he's taking a knee for Colin Kaepernick right now? It was at the end of a song. Yes. And he just took a knee. So I was like, oh, that's his posture. You know, when they're all up there freeze framing, doing whatever, he did that. And that was an ode to Colin Kaepernick. Well, there, there was another report out that the word police was on one of the, uh, on a list of words that could not be said and that Dre was working to get that on a list of words that could be, in fact, said during the halftime show. Imagine those negotiations. Well, also, well, imagine that, Dr. Dre going to everyone and saying, this is on me if you guys screw something up, so don't. Oh, Dre, <laughs> like that talk that he was going to pay the fines himself. Yeah, so no, he's like, no one exactly. here is going to, no one's going to mess with Dr. Dre when it comes to business or anyone in, in that industry. They're going to do as he says. That's why no one screwed it up for him. Because they knew it was coming out of his pocket if they messed up. I mean, I, I, just because the league said, though, Chad, I know you agree. Just because they said that they, oh, we, we knew he was going to do that, doesn't mean that they wanted him to do that. Yeah, I'd like to hear more from Eminem and see what he knew about it, if he was actually told not to. But he's been pretty quiet about it from what I can see. I thought the commercials were pretty much an ineffective group. The best commercial to me was the Larry David commercial. I can't tell you what the product was. Uh, which you know why you couldn't tell us what it was? Because we can't tell what the product is because it's cryptocurrency. That's what he was pushing. Right. It was about the next best idea, and he was turning down all the good ideas throughout history, and it was a, a company that helps you with crypto. But usually uh, an effective commercial like that would somehow leave that cryptocurrency well, thing in your head. The, the best, I thought the best ad was the Coinbase ad. It was a lot of crypto-based ads, but the one with just the QR code bouncing it on was the screen. Unique. Uh, because uh, I was I was in a room at a television station, and one of the producers immediately was like, "What is this?" He thought it was a screensaver. We you know? see, I did thing. the opposite. And you I went thought, up and scanned it, and it's a it's a cryptocurrency app. I thought I'm not scanning that. So I, I to a millions to a share, did millions did, and it crashed their system and all of that. So it worked. It got them what they wanted. But for other people who are like, I'm not scanning something unknown onto my phone that I probably don't care about. I think they cut down their audience, but still they get a significant audience. I guess this it is reminded me of an episode of The Office because there was a Dunder Mifflin 
uh, icon on their screen that bounced around in the back of their meetings, and they used to have a bet if it would ever hit the corner. So Michael thought that they were getting, he was really getting their attention because they'd be like, ah, ah, oh, yeah, because it never hit. I right remember in the that corner. episode. Uh, that was cool. That was unique. Uh, I like that. Maybe this was too niche for a lot of people because I haven't heard a lot about it. The Sopranos reunion was terrific with the open of the Sopranos and the car commercial and it's Meadow Next all generation. grown up. And then it's Anthony Jr. in the end that she's meeting and she's crying and hugging him. They had a Sopranos reunion in the commercial. Was really good. Uh, there wasn't a lot of meat to it, though. I liked the reunion. Not, not even Satriel's Meat Market being in it or Meat no, Store that's I in mean, there. There was, there was literal meat in that ad. It was all sentiment. And then, uh, something else with no meat in it. Uber Don't Eat. About Uber delivery service with that where they're eating things they shouldn't. I liked it with Cousin Greg from Succession making an appearance in that one. I, I wrote, jotted down the Larry David commercial. I thought the Amazon Mind Reader with Colin Jost and Scarlett yeah, Johansson was, was funny. Yeah, that was was good. Um, the Pringles, the hand stuck in the Pringles. That was more of an old school, mid-90s Super Bowl ad that's silly, but it worked with the song. And uh, going throughout and then his whole life and died. Then a guy at the funeral gets his hand stuck in the Pringles. Uh, I find Kevin Hart to be completely unfunny. And I found him to be hilarious in the ad for Sam's Club. The VIP ad for Sam's Club. That's maybe the first time I thought Kevin Hart was funny was in this commercial, uh, which shocked me. And Peyton in the Michelob Ultra spot, Superior Bowl Bowling. with Steve Buscemi. It, it wasn't funny. Uh, it was stylized in a way that was cool. Felt like with Big the Lebowski music, a with bit. no words in the first one, with Alex Morgan, with Jimmy Butler, with Brooks Kepka just the cross-section of athletes that were in it, that were bowling, and then ending with Serena Williams. I, I like that one. Were that we cool. fully at one-third electric cars, we think? Um, they were as represented also, as anything. robot dogs. Yeah, that commercial's been out for a while, so I hate when I it's a commercial that just am gets... I am I supposed to care about a robot now? Like, of all the well, things... Well, you like, hate dogs, well, so the, you the certainly not commercials kill because dog. people, you know, gush over the animals and the horse and the, the dog, the puppy, whatever, but now I, that's supposed to... Pull my there heart, was an the, over the, under the robot pet. Is this what we're supposed to care about now? There was an over under for dogs in commercials. Does the robot mm. dog count? I would think so. I would think so too. But I, I would imagine there could be some dispute. It's not a beating and heart dog. What the heck is going on with the huge, like Chuck E. Cheese electronic animal in the band at a Chuck E. Cheese? It was it was for Facebook Meta something. Oh, well, well, and it's about is it the VR? That you're getting into where you can virtually be with friends from yeah, way back well, in the day? I think it's because... Is that what it's pitching? Reality is so boring, you need meta to raise the stakes a bit, like to get you interested in life. Okay. I didn't know That's if it was how like I pitching read into a... It. Uh, and again, I was watching with not the volume not fully turned up. I couldn't tell if it was doing that or pitching like a, you know, a virtual reality Zoom experience because it was Facebook meta something different because in the end, he got back with the band. Yeah, right, but, he was all virtually. sad. He wasn't with the band back in his glory days. And then the very end, it's like he does something and he's with the band again. But again, I don't know exactly what the product is. I think the dogs saved me from that one when I took a turn taking the dogs out. The, the best one was one that, uh, and I, I wish they would do this after instead of before, but NFL Network ran a piece in their, their pregame coverage about the making of the NFL commercial this year. In the last couple of years, the NFL's had the best commercial. Yeah, they're great. Um, I look forward to it every year to see what the, they're going to do. Right after the halftime show, they ran that. It's a cartoon slash uh, claymation um, piece with the NFL players coming out of the video game and wrecking the house and 
grandma comes out. They did a a, a behind oh, the yeah. scenes look. Feel free to go find it on YouTube. It's it's fascinating to see how they did it. They ran they ran the piece in their NFL their eight hour NFL Network pregame show. So that's probably why they they found a way to fit it in because they needed to put Eisen and Michael Irvin outside outside of the studio and, and move their sets. The the pregame show was so long, but that I, I I found the NFL the NFL commercials to be far and away the best advertising uh, on what is. The NFL's day, their it's, holiday. It's really started about 10, 12 years ago where the NFL had really good ads. The best one was the 100-year yes. anniversary yeah. with all the players, the, the banquet. This one was similar and themed to that with all the great players coming out of the video game and knocking into each other around the house trying to get the fumble. But the ending of it, Paul, is terrific because they gave Walter Payton his Super Bowl touchdown. It yes. ends with Walter Payton going back into the game, scoring the touchdown, and that's a little bit of inside baseball or football for people. His one regret was that Fridge got all of his touchdowns. It bothered him. It bothered him till his dying day. Yeah, Ditka, that, that Ditka, Ditka gave that Fridge the touchdowns in the Super Bowl in his one Super Bowl appearance. I thought overall, though, not a not a stellar day. Nothing there that was like a real wow. Here's what I I, I went back and looked at the top twenty from last year. I remembered maybe one or two of them. Yeah. Here's what I my takeaway. I enjoyed a number of them. I won't remember any of them next, next year. year. Like, I remember them for a day. Or I'll remember them when I'm watching TV randomly and I'll see one of them come on. Oh, I saw that during the Super Bowl. But there's so much information overload at all times now, we forget quickly. I haven't seen the, the official rating. Um, I know preliminary ratings came out last night, and it was estimated at 117 million viewers. Um, so maybe we can find that. I don't know if that's out and released yet. I think it would be flooding our timeline. How's 117? Massive. I mean, the conference championship got fifty. Put in perspective, your award shows at best are getting around thirty million. That's one seventeen in Super Bowl context. Do we know? Uh, I'm looking right now. It's got to be up there. I mean, because I remember whenever one hundred and ten was massive. So that's that's why you have artists that pay for the halftime exposure and not the other way around. Because you're gonna you're getting in front of seventy million other other uh, living rooms and streaming services that you're otherwise not getting uh, just by playing an award show um, uh, for one song. But it's we'll, we'll get to the, the, the numbers, but everything's going to be the 12% newest. 12% increase, it looks like, from previous year. From last this year. year's Super Bowl. Wow. I think they also really primed the pump with the games uh, leading up to it, the, the, two week, uh, the championship games and the divisional round. Got people expecting a, a great game. Yeah, and they and they. I mean, I, I think they probably get that number no matter who's playing, especially if you're just throwing Cincinnati in there with with LA. You know, there, this you didn't have Brady. Again, we've 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 chronicled who they didn't have playing in the game, and yeah, those an those guys number. have always been raising the bar on ratings. That's great. The that's a very impressive top number. rated market for the Super Bowl, Boston, second Cincinnati, LA. To our previous point about never owning that city, eighteen. Twelfth, I'm surprised Boston number twelfth, L.A. I would have thought Boston would have been a dip last year. You still had Brady in it, and uh, yeah. and, and you're removed. Well, they from still the snowed in. I'm surprised Cincinnati wasn't number one. One in four households watch the Super Bowl. What are the other three doing? Watching sixty minutes or just watching nothing. But I think that's oh. a number for everyone that's watching a television at that time doing something. That's always I, I know the numbers are astronomical. Yeah, the it's the most watched show. But every time they go with a one and four, I'm always thinking, what are the other three doing? 
on Super Bowl Sunday. I feel like even if you don't like football, you're turning the Super Bowl on. I've yet to meet someone. Who are these this 75% that don't watch the game? I've never met them. That everyone in our I don't studio know a watches single person who doesn't at least turn the game oh, on. Oh, of Corey's one. Corey did not watch. Is it some sort of moral objection, or why did you not watch it? He's just against it. Yeah. Oh, he had, he had band, band practice. practice. So some of them but had see, band he would, practice. I don't think you would count in that percentage. Here we could start the about. list, though. Band practice. Alternates to the Super Bowl. Band, not big football Number fans, Item so. one, band practice. Coming up, uh, a team I would compare Cincinnati to today, um, but that's only if they take the right mindset moving forward and what they've got to fix. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hit us up on Twitter, or you can find us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel as well uh, by searching out Outkick360. We are live from 6th and Peabody Daily, 2 to 5 Central, 3 to 6 Eastern, and 12 to 3 Pacific across the Outkick network. Guys, I don't know if you uh, uh, totally buy into this, but the Cincinnati Bengals remind me of a team this morning, this afternoon now, um, but in college. The Georgia Bulldogs, hmm. because they matched up against the Alabama Crimson Tide a handful of years ago, and immediately the talk was, oh, they'll be back. They're going to get back. And while they did this year, there was certainly you know the, the, the history behind the fact that they wouldn't. I mean, 1980 is used as a pun and a joke against that program. And while the Bengals you know, have been applauded for winning a playoff game for the first time in 31 years, there is no certainty that Burroughs Bengals get back on that stage. When you start to look around at other examples of quarterbacks who reach that pinnacle only to scratch and claw their way back to maybe a conference championship game. Way, way more traffic for Cincinnati to get back than there was for Georgia. Well, mm, I mean, I don't know about that. Are you talking about from the first time they played Saban to now or 1980, the last national championship? Now it depends on what you're discussing. Say, yeah. say in this saving here, but both both had a feeling. Both fan bases and media and it, everyone involved said, "You know what? You just you lost to the better team. They'll be back." And I, I just think that's so you know that that's just recency bias on uh, looking at the the end result of being a minute and a half short of winning, and not looking at the totality of everything that fell into place for them along the way. I was uh, seven offensive touchdowns in the entire postseason. Uh, being sacked, what was it, 19 times in the postseason? Yeah, nine and one and seven and another. I've, I've seen a lot of counterbalancing to that, I have to say. I've seen a lot of uh, Marino, just people coming straight back at that, will be back with the yeah, Marino thought he'd yeah. be back. So I think, I think a reasonable amount of the fans and media population have had a comeback for the will be back. Uh, assurances. They're an easy team to root for, Chad. They are, uh, but it's it it's not. They're not an easy 
description on how they do it. Like they've got to they've got to rebuild their offensive line. But on top of that, to your point about Burrow and and finding the the ability, he's he he's certainly capable of pulling off what Stafford did this postseason. But it, it starts with the players around him, and right now in front of him. They're just not good enough. Here is what this run masked, ultimately. Bengals are still a second-rate organization under the Brown family. There was a lot of feel-good stories about the Brown family. That's great. I was rooting for them to do well. Seems like a nice man. He's cheap. That's the knock on Cincinnati. That's always been the knock. It's harder to get free agents in Cincinnati. They talked about that on Hard Knocks with Marvin Lewis when they were going to the playoffs every year, how you had to fight and swim upstream in Cincinnati with that organization. Joe Burrow good enough to cover that up? He did in year two, so maybe he is, and they'll get back and win one. But that's something that we haven't had time to discuss in the build-up to the game, but it's going to start cropping back in if they don't step up and pay top dollar for free agents, become an attractive free agency spot, and start to invest more around the franchise like, I don't know, L.A. Well, I'll done. use D.J. Reader as an example. That's a pretty good free agent contributor to their team. And, Trey Hendrickson. And, and they both went there with the, with the Bengals still stinking. Now you're going there with the Bengals being AFC champions. Sure. Uh, plus, they've got draft resources now to spend on the uh, with very clear needs. Offensive line, probably one, two, and three. Yes. secondary, their safeties are very good, their corners not as good. Eli Apple shouldn't be in the mix ne- next year. Um, you know, I, I think their leadership has been much better, and, and Brown is diminished. Tobin and Blackburn You can are, change the reputation easily. Spend. Yeah. They've already won. That's half the battle. you got a winning team now. Now spend. Spend around this winning team and prove that you're in this thing for the long haul. And they can spin without having to spend top dollar on their quarterback or number one wideout. This is that window. Or, or, number, or top three wideouts, for that matter. Coming up tomorrow, we continue to dive a layer or two deeper on the Super Bowl matchups and the trajectory of both of these franchises and what it means for the NFC and AFC ultimately for the teams chasing them. That's coming up on Outkick 360. And our favorites for next year, don't block the box, do lock the locks.